Father, we thank you for this evening as we come before your holy word. We thank you for an opportunity to gather before your saints and teach your word. We ask that Holy Spirit, you will be the orchestrator, the inspiration, and the force behind today's teaching. I pray that may it bless your people, may it convict our hearts, uh, may we apply the truths, and may we bear forth fruits of this message. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so today's topic is on unmasking mammon. Unmasking mammon. And the reason why I titled it that is mammon is sometimes shrouded in secrecy and in mystery that people do not really understand what it is. And as believers, if we don't understand what this is, it really will affect our faith walk with God. Amen. Uh, I've been thinking about these present times we live in. in these days and these present times we live in, this post-COVID era, if you want to survive, if you want to thrive, you have to learn how to wean off over dependence on money. Otherwise, you won't make it. Trust God. Amen. So I, I believe that um, today's message will serve as a template for that. So go with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, and verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21, and verse 24. I read. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So I believe that our operative word here tonight is mammon. Amen. Uh, Jesus was talking to his disciples and he was, ex and, and the audience at large. So it was a crowd which included his disciples. And Jesus started off by saying that we should not lay up for ourselves treasures on earth. First and foremost, Jesus didn't say treasures are evil. He had a neutral tone when it came to treasures. He didn't have an absolute on treasures, whether they are good or they are bad. But he is just talking about the storage of treasure. He says, don't store it here on this earth because moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. So Jesus is not against us having treasures. He just wants us to put it in its proper storage. And as a believer, when you have treasures, learn how to store your treasures in heaven. And the Bible says that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So Jesus here was talking about physical possessions. So bring this into practicality. How do you store for yourselves treasures on earth? and all treasures in heaven. It all has to do with the control of treasure. So if you are having treasures and the treasures seem to control your heart, it seems to control your desires, it seems to control your affections, like Jesus, you've laid your treasures here on this earth where moth and rust do destroy. So Jesus right here is talking about the condition of our hearts. The condition of our hearts determines where we store our treasure. 
And then Jesus goes on in verse 24 to amplify the statement that you can't serve two masters. For you have to hate one and love the other, be loyal to one and despise other. Now you thought he was going to mention the devil. He said you can't serve God and mammon. So right here, mammon is personified. Mammon is seen as a master here. And how do you serve mammon? You serve mammon when you lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth. And what indicates you have treasures stored up here on this earth has to do with the condition of your heart. The condition of your heart. If your heart is lured, influenced, enticed, controlled by your treasures or by money, you are serving mammon. And Jesus is saying that you can't do that. They are not mutually exclusive. Amen. So if you really want to serve God well, learn how to disassociate yourself from the over-dependence on mammon. Amen. So this is the first time in the New Testament this word mammon appears. And what does it mean? Uh, it comes from the Chaldean origin, you know, or Babylonian origin of confidence. And it can be used figuratively as an expression of wealth or a person. It also meant wealth and riches. And it was also used in deity as a god. So a closer look at this word also means avarice or being greedy or having an excessive appetite for wealth or gain. So all these underscore the different shades of meaning of mammon. Now, the root word of this word mammon is found in the Old Testament. So go with me to Genesis chapter 43, verse 23. Genesis chapter 43, verse 23. Y'all welcome. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So the operative word here is treasure. So the word treasure here in the Hebrew is where mammon originated from. And this word treasure means that which is to be trusted. So you can read it like this. But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you that which is to be trusted in your sacks. Because that's the literal meaning of the word treasure. Something that you can trust. Amen. And a common Hebrew word or Aramaic word for riches signifies to be firm and steadfast. Amen. So now, when we bring all these together, in our context of study, what is the meaning of the word mammon? The meaning of the word mammon means a God that uses money as an instrument for influence. A God that uses money as an instrument for influence. So mammon is not physical cash. I wish I had a dollar bill. Mammon is not physical cash. Mammon is the God that uses the influence of that physical cash on the desires of your heart. Are you understanding me? So mammon is not money. Of course, when you look at the scripture, sometimes it does a word play between mammon and money, you know, but when you look at it strictly from its context, mammon is a deity or a God that uses money as an instrument of influence. And when mammon 
influences a person, it affects the desires of his heart to the point that he now begins to see money as his steadfastness, money as his firm foundation, money as his trust, everything that God should rather be, because God is supposed to be our steadfastness. God is supposed to be our foundation. God is supposed to be our firm trust. But money will take over that role because you are being influenced by the deity that uses that as an instrument. I hope you understand. So now, from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21 and 24, three things are implied in this scripture. If you're a servant of mammon, it affects your investment choices. Because right here, Jesus spoke about investments, where you store investments. It affects your investment choices. You are a servant of mammon by your investment choices. Are you investing here on this earth or are you investing in heaven? Jesus exhorted, don't store treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroys or corrupts, as King James will say, or where thieves do break in. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of these things will occur. In heaven, there's nothing like moth or rust and thieves are not able to break in. Amen. It affects your investment choices. Number two, you're a servant of mammon when it affects your view and vision. So right here, you see view and vision here. What are you after? What are your goals? What are your aspirations? It affects your view and vision. Number three, it reveals who you are with time. As you can see in the scripture. So sometimes it's very easy to say, oh, I'm not under the influence of mammon. But with time, it will reveal. It will reveal. It will reveal by your investment choices. It will reveal by your view and vision. I must admit, many believers are not truly interested in God. Truly not interested in God. They are interested in playing church. They are interested in religion. But they are not prepared to put their mouth, their hearts to where their mouths are. It shows. Well, we are prepared to do anything for money. It affects your view and vision. If you break your Christian principles for money, you are under the influence of mammon. It affects your view and vision. So three things we have to note from Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 to 21 and verse 24 is it affects your investment choices. It affects your view and your vision. It reveals who you are with time. That is what will let us know whether you are a servant of mammon or you are a true servant of God. And I pray that tonight may we be true servants of God in word and in deed. Amen. So now let us glean some further lessons from Luke. Go with me to Luke chapter 16, verse 9 to 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 19, verse 9 to 13, I'm sorry, verse 9 to 13. Luke chapter 16, verse 9 to 13. Now, Jesus gave a parable of the unjust steward. One day he was called by his boss. You know, one of, one of the virtues Jesus really extols in his earthly ministry is faithfulness, stewardship. Amen. And he was talking about this steward who was not faithful with his master's goods. Excuse me. This steward who was not faithful with his master's goods, 
and he was fired. And now he, he knew that he had certain people that owed the master. And it's the steward's job to collect the debt on behalf of the master. So what he did was that he went and he reduced their debts. And it was a strategy. Why did he do that? So that when he's kicked out of his job, he would have built goodwill. So there were some that owed oil. There were some that owed wheat. He cut down their debts. Pay half. Pay half of your debts. He was using his esteemed position, which was temporary because he was going to be kicked out of the job. And, and Jesus went ahead to say that the children of this world are shrewd in their dealings than the children of light. And then right here, Jesus is going to continue his commentary on the story. And he started by saying, verse 9, And I say to you, excuse me, And I say to you, make friends for yourselves by unrighteous mammon, that when you fail, they may receive you into an everlasting home. He who is faithful in what is least is faithful also in much, and he who is unjust in what is least is also unjust in much. Therefore, if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, so like I said, it's a word play. I understand me. So right here, when Jesus is talking about unrighteous mammon, he's not talking about a deity or a God that uses money as an instrument of influence. Right here, the word unrighteous mammon just means money. Are you understanding me? That's why I took my time to give all the different shades of meaning of the word mammon. So in this context, Jesus is rather talking about physical cash. But in Matthew chapter 6, verse 24, when Jesus said you can't serve God and mammon, he's not talking about physical cash. He's talking about the God that uses money as an instrument of influence to ensnare people. Do we, are, do we get it clear? So Matthew chapter 6, mammon, and Luke chapter 16, mammon, they both have different meanings. I hope I've made myself clear. We all get it? All right. Who will commit to your trust the two riches? And if you have not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters. So Jesus goes ahead to buttress this point very strongly. And it is said that when anybody says something twice, pay particular attention. For either he will hate the one and love the, one, the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. So this right here explains to us why the steward was unjust. Although Jesus commended the steward for quick thinking, he was able to use his esteemed position to build goodwill by reducing the debts of the people that owed. So that when his job fails, you know, when he's kicked out of his job, he, he, you know, his goodwill will perhaps help him. But Jesus right here underscored why the man was unfaithful. The man was unfaithful because of mammon. So mammon can make us unfaithful. When you follow hard after the love of money, you will be an unfaithful steward in your work of faith for God. And that's what happened with this steward. He was unfaithful because of the love of money. Amen. Now, I want you to pay particular attention to one phrase Jesus used here, unrighteous mammon. What does it mean? Mammon is seen as unrighteous, not because it is defiled or unclean. All right. Money is seen as unrighteous because it is deceitful. It offers less than it can promise. It deceives. 
So that's why Jesus calls it unrighteous mammon. You know, normally in our Christian context, when we say something is unrighteous, we normally refer to it as defiled or unclean. But here, when Jesus says that if you are not faith, if you've not been faithful to unrighteous mammon, who will commit to you true riches? Another word for this word unrighteous there is deceitful. Money is deceitful. Because, like I said, it offers less than I can promise. Money cannot do everything. It offers less than I can promise. Money can buy, for instance, money can buy you bed, but it can't buy you sleep. So money can deceive you that when you have a lot of it, you will sleep. You can afford a good bed. You can afford the best bed but it will not buy you sleep. Money can afford you the best doctors. One of the richest men in this world was Michael Jackson. It was in his quest to find sleep. That's why he died. Right? So money. So money can get you the best doctors, the best health care. But it cannot buy you health. It can't. It's God that gives health. Money is very, very, very limited. Money is limited. Money can buy you books. It can buy you knowledge. It can buy you wisdom. Wisdom is from God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can have a lot of money and be a fool. We've seen some of them. We've seen some of them. Right? <laughs> they have a lot of money, but somewhere, somehow, they are not even coherent in their thoughts. So it offers less than it can promise. That is why it is called unrighteous mammon. It is deceitful. Money can buy you women, men, but it can't buy you a spouse. The Bible lets us know that to have a wife, it is a gift from the Lord. So money is very limited. It's deceitful. It offers less than it can promise. Money can buy you people, but it can't buy you relationships. It can't. Amen. So that, that's why it's called unrighteous. Unrighteous in the sense that it is deceitful. Amen. Now, Jesus goes on to talk about three things. And all this, I think, is in relation to the unjust word. And I normally hear a lot of messages on faithfulness centered around this message, which is, of course, correct because it has a universal application. But when you look at the immediate context of this, Jesus is talking about money. So he says that faithfulness in the least. If you are faithful in the least, you'll be faithful in much. This had to do with the unjust word. He was sacked. He was let go of his job because he couldn't be faithful in the little mundane things. It has a universal application. If you are not faithful in managing a one-bedroom apartment, what makes you think you can manage a three-bedroom house with a basement? What makes you think so? With a lawn. But you struggle to even manage a one-bedroom apartment. So it, it has a universal application. So if you are not faithful in the least, you are not going to be faithful in the much. If you are not faithful with four members, you are not going to be faithful with 40 members. If you are not faithful with your $5, you are not going to be faithful with 50. It's just that simple. Now, the second aspect of faithfulness is in relation to money. If you are not faithful with unrighteous mammon, how will God give to you true riches? And may I submit to you that true riches here is the promise of salvation. That was yet to come. You know, the, the Jews had an idea of true riches, but they hadn't experienced. We living in this present day have experienced true riches. 
the blessings, the benefits of salvation. That is true riches. And if you can't handle deceitful money, if you if you are not faithful with that, how can God commit to you true riches? How? Amen. And third, faithful in another man's. And just like the story, if you look at the first eight verses, the guy was let go of his job. His stewardship, his tenure came to an end because he wasn't faithful in another man's business. And if you are not faithful in another man's business, how will God give you your own? The, the, the fastest way in the kingdom to become a boss is to serve. Serve another man's. Serve another man's. God rewards stewardship. And most importantly, he rewards faithful stewardship. Amen. Jesus then goes on to give a strong caution that we can't serve God and mammon. So what we read in Matthew chapter 6, he repeats it again in Luke chapter 16. They are both masters. That's what Jesus said. He said it in Matthew. He said it in Luke. So the devil is no match to God. But money can be. I'm talking about Mamona. Now we are talking about the God, the deity, that uses the instruments of money to influence and ensnare. That God. You can't serve God and serve that deity. It's not possible. You have to love one and hate the other. Amen. So now let's look at the implication of this warning. Luke chapter 16, verse 14 to 31. So after Jesus talked about you can't serve God and mammon, look at the implication. Now, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, if you do remember, during our, our, our study in Philippians, I kept on saying that the Pharisees really loved money. And it's right here. The Pharisees who were lovers of money also had all these things and they derided him. One sign of mammon is that whenever the issue of money or giving comes up, you become agitated. It plays on your emotions. Either you are agitated or you are sad. And that is a stronghold that you are under the influence of mammon. You see, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, when they heard Jesus talking about this, they were not happy at all. So in order to discredit his message, they, they derided him. They put him to shame. They scorned at him like what you are saying is not credible. But Jesus didn't mind them. And he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one title of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. There was a certain rich man. Now, I, I find it funny that Jesus, even in addressing them, he brings the issue of divorce. And Jesus is talking about mammon. And yet he, he found it expedient to tie that with divorce. If you are not married, one of the things you have to watch in a potential spouse is his relationship with money. His relationship to money 
and with money is going to spell a lot in the future of your marriage. Amen. Seller. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fed sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores. Please, I'm reading Luke chapter 16, verse 14 to 31, like I said. So I hope all of you are on the same page with me. Who was laid at his gate, designed to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, father, that you will send them to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Abraham said to him, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, Neither would they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Amen. So when Jesus talked about you can't serve God and mammon, the implication of that was about a rich man and a poor man. The choices they made took them to different destinations. Now, one clear thing you have to understand None went to heaven or hell because of status. All right? So the rich man didn't go to hell because of his riches. The poor man also did not go to heaven because of his poverty. So heaven or hell is not determined by status. It's determined by choices and decisions. And what are the choices and decisions here? Who are you going to serve in your lifetime? That is what is going to determine whether you will end up in heaven or at the gate of hell. So for the rich man, the Bible lets us know that he was ruled by mammon. And like I said, when Jesus spoke about riches, he didn't say it's bad to have riches. Never said that. He never said that it's evil. He just says that do not let your heart be controlled by it because where your heart is, that is where your treasure is. For this rich man, his heart was controlled by his treasure. He had laid for himself treasures on this earth. He was ensnared by the deity of Mammon. And because of that, he ended up at the wrong place. The poor man, even though he was poor, he kept his faith in the law and in the prophets. Because mind you, Jesus hadn't died, so you can't really receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. So you had to rely on Moses, the law, the prophets to become righteous. So he had also made a decision irrespective of his unpleasant earthly state, and he ended up in heaven. So the most important thing that we have to learn in this story is that when we become ensnared by mammon, 
it will shift our priorities from eternal destinations. It will shift our priorities from eternal projects. It will shift our priorities from eternal treasures. And that is what happened to the rich man. The rich man didn't go to heaven because of money. The rich man went to heaven because mammon, which is a god, used the instrument of money to influence and ensnare his heart, and he became deceived. Amen. Now, verse 16 and 17 is powerful. Let me read that again. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time, the kingdom of God has been preached and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one title of the law to fail. So what Jesus is explaining here is that both had the message of the kingdom of God. One strived and pressed to enter. The other, a servant of Mammon, became indifferent to the gospel of the kingdom. Do you understand? So verses 16 to 17 explain why the poor man was in Abraham's bosom. It was a figurative expression of there is a place of promise, right? Because the Jewish people at that time, they believed that there is life after death, there is a better place, but they didn't have the concept of heaven. They knew that where our father Abraham is, that is where we'll be also. There is life after death. So the poor man had the kingdom of God. The rich man had the message on the kingdom of God. But it all depended on who strived or pressed to enter. And when mammon ensnares your heart, the danger of mammon is that it makes you very indifferent to the message of the kingdom of God. It becomes so difficult to enter into the kingdom of God. Amen. So please, we have to pray for people who are ensnared by mammon. Because when people are ensnared by mammon, there is no amount of message you can preach. They will have to experience the Lazarus, ex the, the rich man experience. See, he was in hell, and now he realized that everything is useless. The money that I put my trust in couldn't help me. Instead of seeing God as my firm foundation, I saw money as my firm foundation. Instead of seeing God as my steadfastness, I saw money as my steadfastness. Instead of seeing God as my, my instead of seeing God as my source, I saw my and now I'm in hell. I can't be helped. Now he has become an evangelist in hell, preaching that I have five brothers. Mammon ensnares your heart, it makes you indifferent to the message of the kingdom. Amen. Now let us look at the epistles concerning this. And let's wrap this up. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. So in the epistles, Paul gives us an idea on how to break free from the hold of mammon. Amen. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. I'm reading. Let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, 
but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words, from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men, of corrupt minds, and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. From such, withdraw yourself. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. And those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierce themselves through with many sorrows. But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Amen. So from this scripture, Apostle Paul admonishes us to be careful of doctrines that promotes godliness as a means of gain. Godliness is not a means of gain. It's not. It's not a means of gain. When we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, Christ has preordained that we will be conformed to the image of His Son. That is what is a guarantee. It's not a guarantee of gain. Is God interested in you becoming poor? No. But the, the real message of godliness, holiness, is that we will be conformed to the image of Christ. So Paul admonishes us to be careful of doctrines that promote godliness as a means of gain. It's not. Because you know what? If, if we don't take care and we promote this faulty paradigm, we, we can't preach to rich people. What will, you, what will you preach to Elon Musk? What will you preach to the Forbes billionaires? If we are really going to stand by this faulty paradigm that godliness is a means of gain and they have acquired gain, what are you really going to preach to them? So it's a faulty paradigm. One, one of the blessings of the gospel is it cuts across. It's relevant to the needs of the rich, relevant to the needs of the poor. The gospel is not relevant to just the needs of one class. So we should be careful of doctrines. And that's what Apostle Paul said. You know, one thing about the New Testament, especially the epistles, is that it's very, very wordy. When you read it, it can be a mouthful. You have to really take your time to break down the words to really assimilate the epistles particularly. And what Apostle Paul is saying is that, be careful. Godliness is not gain. You don't receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior because you will live in a mansion. You don't receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior because you will drive a Bentley or a Rolls Royce. You don't receive Christ as your Lord and personal Savior because you are going to have a private jet. That is not the essence of the gospel. The Bible rather says that when you see people preaching messages like that, disassociate yourself from them. That is not the gospel. Amen. Because when we preach messages like this, we promote avarice, we promote greed, we promote corruption. Secondly, like I said, Paul admonishes us by the Spirit of God to withdraw from such a company, else we can be affected. The more you hear messages like this, you'll be affected. I can't believe I'm running out of time. The third thing that we see out of here is that we should be content. The writer is not addressing don't have money or don't work for it. He's rather addressing the greed to have more and more. 
the love of money can lead you down the road of covetousness. And we know that covetousness is sin. Works of the flesh. Galatians chapter 5. And Paul lets us know that the desire to be rich is a temptation and a trap. Beware of it. Paul also admonishes us that the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, including divorce. That's what we read in, Matthew, in, in Luke chapter 16. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. If you are not married, when you are looking at the qualities of your prospective spouse, please remember what I just said. Look at his or her relationship with or to money. It will spell a lot. Amen. Mammon will let you stray from the faith. You will be pierced with many sorrows. And we are to flee the love of money and pursue rather righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. Amen. So I've just given you the overview of 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 1 to 11. I wish I could explain, but I'm really looking at the time here. So now, final instructions, and let me bring this home. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 to 19. I want us to look at seven instructions there real quick and we'll wrap up. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty. Don't be proud or prideful. Nor to trust in uncertain riches. But in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold of eternal life. Seven instructions. I got to run through this quick. Paul didn't say rich people should give away their riches. Note that. It only happened one time, and that's in Luke chapter 18, when Jesus dealt with the young, the rich young ruler. Because I have seen some people too who take this to the extreme that riches are sin. So when you come to the Lord, give everything away. That is not really true. You know, for, for you to make something a doctrine, you have to see it at least two or three times in the scripture before you can make it a doctrine. All right. So you have to look at all that. So, two, he said, don't trust in uncertain riches. And he said, don't be prideful. Money can make you prideful. Don't be prideful. Don't trust in uncertain riches because it's deceitful. Number three, but trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. So, for us receiving money, for us receiving wealth, it's because of God. That's why Jesus didn't condemn it. And that's why he didn't condemn the audience that don't have treasure. He said, have it, but put it in its proper storage. Amen. He instructs them, do good. When God puts you at a place of advantage or profit, use it to do good. Remember the unjust word. He was wise. When he was in his position of esteem, he rather did good. Use money to build goodwill. He says, be rich in good works. That's why God gives us money. So this is how you become free. You become free from the hold of mammon when you learn how to disperse of it, give it as seed. Believing God that the one who gave you all things richly to enjoy will bless you. Now, he says, be rich in good works. Be ready to give. Be willing to share. Be willing to share. 
That's how you break hold. By doing these things, the Bible lets us know that we store up for ourselves a good foundation for the time to come and we'll receive eternal life. Amen. So I end, I end tonight with this. Amen. I got two minutes on the clock. Uh, I'll, I'll wrap up properly next week before we get into our, the meat of our study. Amen. So next week we'll do another topic. There's just a one-off. It's not a series. Amen. God bless you all. If you have any questions or contributions, the floor is open for you. Amen. Bless you. Who has any question? Who has any contribution? Next week, I'll spend like five minutes just to tie up all loose ends. And then, you know. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. Very, very well done. Thank you so much. Um, you know, the one thing that kind of struck me as you were going through it is it's interesting because we did do the book of joy. Um, and and it ties in, it ties in with joy because if, when we are content, it means we are content with God and we have joy in God. And when we have joy in God, then we see money properly and it's harder for it to control us because we value our joy in the Lord. So I just wanted to say that because I was seeing the connection as you were going through it. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Who else? Does anybody have any question? All right. The whole the whole the whole room is quiet, so I believe uh, we're good. Amen. So thank you all for attending tonight's Bible study. Father, we choose today to be a servant of you, not a servant of Mammon. Help us to put our trust in you, O Lord, who gives us all things richly to enjoy. We thank you that from today we will have a proper relationship with money and we'll put treasure in its proper perspective and its correct storage. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Go in peace. Be blessed. May God bless your bank accounts. May God give you all things sufficiently that you will always abound in grace in every good work. But pause that. Always remember that money is not to be our God. We are supposed to control money by putting it in this proper storage and use it to worship God and to affect the lives of humanity for the better. So thank you all for attending tonight. God bless you. I hope you've all been blessed. Good night. See you guys on Sunday. Bless you. <laughs>